that already happened. Hi there. This is Open Mic. I'm Mike Creed. You guys know that. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows of this podcast and the brilliance of me asking basic questions to extraordinary people. Who doesn't know that? Oh, Mike, your podcasts are so good. That's great. I I was going to do like a whole riff on how like basic the podcast was, but then I also kind of realized I just said, hey, this podcast is so great. Like I was just basking in this obvious fucking praise. Oh, I'm a, I'm a douche. Today on the podcast, Marion Martin, first Tour de France women's winner ever, Americano, not that that's really important, except to those who just happen to believe that, you know, USA is the best country in the world. Call me jingoistic, what is that, is that the word? Uh, but, you know, just happen to think so. Uh, 1984, Women's Tour de France winner. Um, kind of embarrassed to admit, like, I didn't even really know much about her. And then I was listening to Richard Moore's podcast, and he brought up her name. Uh, said she lived in Boulder, Colorado. Boom, did a quick Google search. Found her photography website. Uh, she's now a photographer, redundancy department, Creed. And uh, gave her uh, a shout. She responded quickly. And she was kind enough to meet me uh, over drinks. Um, in the beginning of the podcast, you're going to listen to like a door alarm that was open. So pretend to ignore that. Uh, pretend like that's not as annoying as it is. But it was an important part of the conversation, and I don't want to cut it out. This podcast, like all the other podcasts, sponsored by who? Colorado Cyclist. Um, I'm recording this podcast a bit ahead of time because I will be on the road getting 2014 under the way for Team Smart Stop. So um, pay attention to my Twitter account today. Uh, I'm going to have a lot of, we're working on some contests, get you guys some prizes, uh, really try to get the listeners more involved. And you guys have done a good job with, um, you know, uh, buying stuff from Carl Cyclist, tagging them, just appreciate it. You know, like, I don't expect you guys to go out and just buy everything bike-related from Carl Cyclist. Um, they might not have what you want. They probably do. But, you know, everybody has their own things. But as long as, you know, um, you guys are letting them know that you're listening and that you appreciate their support of Open Mic. Like, that really goes a long way. And they're really good guys. Um, I've been with them, uh, riding in some iteration for them since I was 16. And uh, I really appreciate their support. So, again, if you guys have any ideas on how uh, what can make you more involved in the podcast. Or um, uh, you guys just want to give a quick shout out. Uh, that'd be great. But, again... To repeat myself, pay attention to the pot to my Twitter, and we'll uh, I'll get you guys some more prizes. Um, okay, so this is now I'm trying to do this reoccurring bit where I, I tell everybody like an embarrassing thing that I've remembered from my childhood. Um, I do remember um, when I was about I don't know uh, let's say fourteen. And I uh, was in the state wrestling uh, tournament, and I made it to the finals, and I was so nervous. Uh, 
and the guy across that I was going to wrestle for the, for the for the title was like he was really big, really intimidating guy. Like I don't know how he was in the same weight class. He looked a lot bigger than me. So I figured the best way to beat him was for him to like like me. I was, I would convince him to like me. So I so I did like all my Beavis and Butthead impressions, and I, I did that like cornholio bit with my hands, and he was like laughing, and I was like, oh this guy, he 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 thinks I'm funny now, and he's not going to attack me so viciously. And uh, now I have an edge on him. Cut to finals. He pinned me in about... I mean, it was under a minute. You know, like, I think for effect, I could say 10 seconds. But it, I know I held that longer than that. But he did pin me. It was quick. I didn't make it out of the first period. So, there you go. Even in competition, I'm extremely, extremely needy. Okay. Hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Oh, man. You made friends with them. See, friendship is the booze they feed you. They want you to get drunk and feel like you belong. Well, it was fun. Because they make you feel cool. And hey, I met you. You are not cool. I know. Even when I thought I was, I knew I wasn't. Yeah, because we are uncool. No, while women will always be a problem for guys like us, most of the great art in the world is about that very problem. Good-looking people, they got no spine. Their art never lasts. And they get the girls, but we're smarter. Yeah, I can really see that now. Because great art is about guilt and longing and love disguises sex and sex disguises love hey let's face it you got a big head start i'm glad you were home i'm always home i'm uncool me too you're doing great the only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're uncool is that my advice to you i know you think these guys are your friends if you want to be a true friend to him, be honest and unmerciful. Heart. 
And can we just drink if we're in here? Or is sure, this... absolutely. Okay. You can do whatever you want. Um, I'll be ready in yeah. four and a half minutes. Take your time. I don't even know what today is. I think today is Wednesday. Wednesday yeah. uh, I'm going to just do a mark. Oh, yeah. Um, old fashioned. Uh, yeah, so I rode my bike the first day like in four months. I know. It was a great day. Yeah, I had to yeah. take off work and just go play. So do you still ride at all? Or, I mean, I saw you did the rag ride. I did. But it sounded from the tone of that article you hadn't ridden much. 
I rode twice that. before that. Twice since when, like... Oh, for about a year. Um, I, you know, there's just so much traffic on the road. Yeah, it's scary a little bit. It's well, and it's right? so different, you know. Because I mean, did you grow up here in Boulder? No, but I... Um, I didn't start riding till I moved here, so I was like, I don't know, 21 or something, 22. Where'd you move from? Michigan. Okay. Yeah. And um, and actually, I was in Fort Collins before that, but you know, I moved here and I was working at the Boulder Hotel, and the bike race came through, and that was a host hotel, and it just is that, like is that what got you in the bike race? Have you seen that? Yeah, I would say there was like three different um, okay. factors, but that was definitely one of them. Sure. And so um, I got. So I started riding, and it was so different than now. So to ride again now, it's so, there's so much traffic. Like you probably, back then you might have been able to get out of town a lot simpler and just everything around. And I'll have a house mark, please. Okay, Thank you. Uh, you know, I don't live here, but just any time I ride, uh, out 36 or whatever. I mean, it's always been sketchy. I, yeah, I don't blame you. I know. I, I was almost hit. In fact, the car behind them thought they hit me because I stopped when the guy almost hit me. And I was just like, ugh. So... Was the rag bike pretty fun, was it? It was so much fun. And, you know, part of the beauty of that is that they keep the cars off the road. I mean, it's yeah. not totally closed, but we probably... But, and also through sheer numbers, people right. are expecting and paying attention. Right. Uh, you, and I led bike tours in France after I quit cycling, after I quit racing, and I loved that, too, because it's, yeah. it's not big, fast cars. So you didn't, like, have some major falling out with the sport? No, I love the sport. Yeah. I love the sport. And I love, I love riding as a... Okay, I love the sport of racing, I love the sport of cycling, and I just love the whole concept of cycling. It's, it's so good on your body, and it's so good in the environment. I mean, there's so many great things about it. It's just, yeah. you know, Dale Stedman was hurt so bad this year. Yeah. He's just went home, though, right? Or he's going to another hospital. He's being transferred. Yeah, and it's out of state, but it's probably a nice break for his family. But, yeah. you know, he's, I, I mean, he's got a long road ahead of him. No, there's so, I mean, everybody has, like, their incidents, you know, like, their, like, time they would remember. I remember uh, I was training in Mexico, and in the middle of nowhere in Mexico, like, I'd go to, did you ever go to Silver City in Mexico for Tour de Gila, or? Um, no, I went someplace down there. Yeah. It's a small, uh, high desert mountain town in New Mexico. And, you know, you can get back in the National Forest and everything, and there's just nobody out there. There's, there's one, you know, highway kind of in the town, and a uh, one of those big trucks that was carrying a home, a house, passed me. Wow. And, uh, and um, about ten seconds after it passed me, the big uh, side barn door of it swung open. And so I got to see it swung open and it completely covered the lane that I was in. And the thing was going about, you know, 70 miles an hour. And I mean, it wasn't even tight. It might have been five seconds. And it just drove for like a quarter mile down the road. That could have totally hit you. Oh, yeah. It would have cut me in half immediately. And I remember thinking that, like, all the different things I did that day to be five seconds slower. Right. Like, all the... You know, like if you 
he stopped to drink, he stopped to stretch, you know, like all these things. It's like that. I know. It's it's I know. I, it's I, rare, but it's also not impossible. I, I do enjoy riding on a Carlos Springs does have a good trail system now. Uh huh. So I almost never train on the road. Oh, like, that's I mean, nice. I retired now. So but that would make a huge difference. Yeah. Is the trail system not great? Oh, wow. Oh. Great. Thank you. <laughs> guys, anything to munch on right now? I think we're good for now. All Thank right, you very I'll much. I'll check on you later. Great, thanks. Oh, and you waited here. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you. It is a theme on the on the podcast to get people drunk and smoke. It usually works better. <laughs> so I've never been podcasting. Like, do you just oh. put everything out there, or? Um... I mean, I'll, uh, both the. I guess maybe the charm of the podcast is that it's uh, very rough and unprofessional. Uh huh. But yeah, there there are times where people go, you know what? I wish I didn't say that. And I'll take it out. And I'm not a. I'm not a journalist. You know, I'm not. The podcast isn't a tribute to honesty. Mm. But um, I had randomly was listening to another podcast and they had brought your name up. It was Richard Moore. Oh, right. Yeah. And he brought your name up and that you lived in Boulder and I had no idea. And I, I found you on your website and I thought, this is amazing. Like the first woman's Tour de France winner. And I was just. There's not a lot of information on it out there, but the one thing I said, I I, I read was that you took the state, you took the the lead going into stage 17. So did you did it? Was it all 21 stages? We did 18 stages over 21 days, and um, so we have and we did the last like 60 or 70 kilometers of the men's race. Okay. When we did it, the French didn't think we would finish. Sure. It is a very, it's a masculine culture. I mean, I guess most cultures are, but especially the French. Right. So. Um, and I brought pictures. I know it's uh, like a radio yeah, no. thing, but um, because the thing is, I was interested in photography when I went there. Yeah. So all the photographers there were my gods. So I was like bowing to them and, you know, jokingly. Sure. But um, I'd seek them out whenever and... Even if they didn't speak English, we would, you know, joke an, back and forth. There's an anecdote Richard Moore said about that you would have to, you you would have to wait for the men's podium. Is that true? And so then that, that's when you would have time to like look at, take photos and. Well, I didn't take any photos, but I got to know all the all the journalists, all the photographers, yeah. so they all sent yeah. me photos. So I have this fabulous compilation of photos that they. Wow. I'm so lucky. And you can browse at your own. Like, this is one of my favorite pictures. We were just waiting in the shade before the start. And it's so French. It really is. And see, there's one of the photographers. That's crazy. You wouldn't race in that shirt, right? That was just a shirt. This was under our jersey. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, so we just, it was hot, so we took our jerseys off. Um, but yeah, and then like this is the guy from Perrier, and nobody on our team spoke French, and none of the managers spoke English, so we didn't have an interpreter. But he did, so 
He was my best friend. He helped me a lot. So how did how did this opportunity come up? And like, how do you get on a on a team with no English or how did, I guess how did this happen then? That we were in the Tour de France, or yeah, it, it, oh, it that we didn't like have a manager that yeah, would speak. Uh, yeah. Because we were like an. Uh, you know, women weren't a big thing back then, yeah. which is totally fine with me. I just wanted to race my bike. I didn't want to be, you know, I didn't have to be anything else. But um, Mike Frazee put the team together, and it was kind of a... Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay, it was kind of a last-minute thing. And so he um, he hired somebody that was in France. and I'm sure somebody said, oh, you've got to have this guy. You know, it's like... The old boys club, friend sure. of a friend of a friend. I know a guy. I know a guy. And he did speak English. And as far as I could tell, I don't know if he'd ever run a team before or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so halfway through, we actually got another team manager. Really? Yeah. Who was also he falling out or was it just he needed help? A little bit of both? Yes. <laughs> You're being so polite right now. I don't now. think there was a falling out. He just didn't really have his shit together. I, I think he was more in for the fun of it, not for the working of the team. 18 days, a lot of the fun goes out. Right, and we didn't have the gears we needed. Like, 19 was my smallest gear. Um, wow, like a 42-19? Or... Yeah. Wow. And so it was, um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't all organized. But then when this other guy came in, I think I've got a, a picture of him. Um, he was a rock star. And even though he didn't speak English either, he was such a rock star. He was dialed. Yeah. He Do you remember really, his name? No, I have a horrible memory, but... It, um, that wasn't him. He was from Perrier, too. This is him. Although you can't really see his face. But he was so good. Yeah. And so that helped a lot. Yeah. How many years have had you been racing up to this point? I don't know. About four, maybe. Um, were, you, were you, like, I mean, obviously you're some kind of natural on it, but were you a quick learner, like, immediately progressed through the ranks? Well, um, it did come pretty naturally to me. Um, I do have really big lungs, and I was a dancer for all my childhood, so I had strong legs. Yeah. That's what I attribute it to. I don't know. Um, also, I hung around all the guys, so I heard about strategy, whereas women didn't really do strategy when I was racing. Just go. Although the European women did, and it was great. And I loved racing with the European women, but... I don't think there was enough coaching to really tie the American women together to get them thinking in team sports. The structure wasn't quite place. Yeah, I mean, maybe the 7-Eleven team. It was a... I'm not sure. Excuse me for my ignorance, but so the 7-Eleven team was going in or was around then? They were, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, but, so I learned a lot of stuff from just hanging out with the guys, you know, the yeah. Levi Raleigh team and... Um, you know, after a race, we'd be in the van, and they would talk about their race, and so I would learn a bunch of stuff, and, um, yeah, and really just an awareness, I guess. Um, I also did a lot of uh, visualization, and I don't, I don't think very many people did it back then, but I don't even know if people do it now. I don't think it's a common thing. I think you get so, so focused on the moment, I think, to... 
actually take the time to relax and visualize and kind of run yourself through the race. And especially as a professional, because you race so much, it seems... Right, well, it was something I did... Um, I did every morning and every evening, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening, you know, just like meditating. And What would you visualize? Um, strength, you know, just kind of my whole, you know, I had a routine. Yeah. It's kind of personal. Okay. Um, and I'm sure everybody's would be, but um, I think, I really believe in it now, in life, in everything, and I, I think it's really powerful. I don't think too many people do it and the other thing is that back then and I, and I still see it today is that a lot of people really overtrain. yeah um and i because i was working also i was really smart about my training and so i i didn't go just for junk miles i mean when i was when i was on the bike i was doing something i was either yeah. it was either speed power endurance seems like something else but um, <laughs> or easy yeah and I did a lot of easy days you had a goal every day when you got on the bike yeah and I did a lot of rest days and I know I mean back then people didn't rest like their easy day was not easy it was a medium day so you didn't get 100% rest or 100% workout it was like a waste of time was it through like ignorance or like machismo or I think both yeah I mean so you raced yeah. What was your easy day like? Um, well, I had a background on the track, so the track was fairly structured. So I would try to do my easy days. I think I could see, you know, when I was younger, uh, I would always, I would leave for a training ride. On my easy day, I'd leave for my training ride at the same time I left for my hard ride. But then I would just go super, super easy. And I think the older I got, and the more... Um, lazy I got, I guess I would maybe not even ride that day or stretch or whatever, whatever excuses I could find as you, right. as you start getting... Right, but see, just how you said it had to be a lazy day yeah. instead of a calculated I'm going to let my body totally rest today. Yeah. And, um... It was a little bit before everybody, like, can understand the value of rest and not... So do they now? Because I'm, I'm pretty out of sure. touch. I think so. I think yeah. there's a big... Um, it's hard now because they have, you know, power meters and... Oh, that's right. And every, everybody's heart rate thing. And heart rate. Yeah, I think in, there's so, uh, they have a new thing. They like TSS score. and I mean, there's so much that you can get lost. Uh, so I was telling you today, so I retired this last year. Uh, I went to a friend's event and I just left my bike at his house. I, didn't, I still haven't got it back. So I, I bought my own road bike uh, just a while ago. And I just rode my bike for the first time in four months. And it was, it was nice because I grew up, you know, with Harry monitors and power meters and everything. And I feel like there was this point where I actually. Like in the last four or five years of my career, where I actually disconnected with how I felt. I couldn't. It, it occurred to me that I, I paid attention more to the power meter than oh, I did interesting. my own body. You know, so like, whereas when I was a junior or under 23, I could immediately analyze my legs and uh, my cadence and 
I was really connected with everything. Right, because you know? we were really connected yeah. to our bodies. Yeah. And I wonder about that now. I, I'm, and I definitely, my last, this last year, I got completely disconnected. How I felt was what the numbers told me, which is complete, which is mm-hmm. total bullshit. But in my mind, I was like, well, I feel great because I'm putting out these numbers. Right. Which was, I mean, we know that's not true. So today, so I rode and uh, without a power meter and just, I'm trying to get back to that point where I feel good just because I feel good. Right. And, you know, don't have a power meter, don't have anything like this. So I, I think it's going to be a lost art soon. I think it's coming where it's going to be a lost art to, to truly tell your coach how you feel. Well, and to truly know how you feel. Like, yeah. Like, that was... Well, we also took our pulse. Do you take your pulse in the morning? Not anymore. Because we were religious. Yeah. Like, you wake up, and before you get out of bed, you take it for 15 seconds, and then you stand up, and you take it immediately for 15 seconds, and it was the differential. It was a gauge. It was a fatigue gauge, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was a differential. It wasn't just your resting pulse, because that doesn't tell you anything. Yeah. Um... So it was a differential, and if that wasn't down to what it was supposed to be, we didn't train hard. I didn't train hard. Yeah. So I was pretty neurotic about my training, my training diary. I think it's definitely with, uh, it's going to sound like an incredibly ignorant comment, but from what I've noticed, I feel like women are much more studious and... and um, I, I noticed the same thing. I... I so I almost feel like there's like a like a uh, it's like not a tough guy thing to be uh, to pay attention. It's like it's, it's like almost more tough to be ignorant, I guess. Like well, there's I that song of like if you're gonna be dumb, you gotta be strong. Okay. Yeah. And and because I really wanted to do coaching when I quit, and so I coached a couple people, but they, of course, they were guys, and. They they wouldn't follow it. Like, they wouldn't do easy days. They would go with friends versus do their own workout. Mm. And, you know, one thing I used to say is the hardest thing about training is not. Yeah. Because you want to go ride, but if you shouldn't, you shouldn't. Yeah. You know, so that was a big thing for me is to really stay focused on your task at hand, whether it's supposed to be sprints or rest or, you know, speed power whatever yeah there's also the romantic idea too because when, when you when you look at your training schedule and it's, oh i have to do uh eight three minute vo2 efforts there also becomes this like romantic i like and I, and I realize that you're just creating excuses for yourself in this moment but it's hard to not it's hard to ignore them but you get this romantic idea of like well i just want to ride the ride i just want to do this like this is I do what I want to do. Not if you're racing. But, yeah, I mean, see, you can do that now. Yeah, right now. (laughs) But, I mean, I I found all sorts of excuses for myself towards the the end of my career. When did you end your career? Um, In, let's see, I think it was a couple years after the tour, but my body quit recovering. Um, And and I've learned so much since, but... um, you know, I was religious about my pulse, and it it wasn't recovering, and it wasn't recovering, and my body was always uh, 
under some fatigue, and I didn't know why. And it turns out I was allergic to wheat. Okay. But I, I didn't know it at the time, so... Yeah, nobody knew that stuff at the time. I know. How do you get away from wheat and bike racing back then? You know? Right. That's everything. Everything. You just so put a big really plate dry. of plain pasta in front of you. And, and bread. And, and bread. You have to eat up. So you just, your body would... It just wasn't recovered. It was just tired all the time. It was kind of like it, it was a low level. And I got sick a lot. And, you know, everybody said, oh, honey, it's stress. Just take some time off. You know, and then you start believing it. And so then I found out that I was allergic to weed, and um, that helped a lot. I mean, I had still, I had already quit racing by then. But the other thing is, I still kept getting sick. And I wasn't pushing my body as hard because I quit racing, but I still got sick about a week a month. And um, about seven years ago, I bought an air purifier. Hmm. And it changed my life. Come on, really? I swear to God. It totally changed my life. I'm not sick anymore. And I can work out like it used to be if I would go. Because now and then, a couple times I would help people. Like somebody I knew that was racing. And I helped them with their hill climbing. And so I got out on the bike. And, you know, you go anaerobic when you do hill climbing hard. Sure. And I would get sick. And I'd be sick for 10 days after something like that. Something silly like that. Sure. Um... Or, I don't know, I just didn't ride my bike. I didn't do anything where I went anaerobic, anything where I pushed myself. And um, once I got the air purifier, and I've probably been sick maybe once a year since then. I don't even know. Did, did, you, uh, did you, when you retired from cycling, was it a hard moment for you, or were you ready for it? Or? No, I didn't want to at all. I just couldn't figure out why I wasn't... Because you know how you can feel when you're strong? Yeah. I didn't have that anymore. You didn't feel like yourself? No, and I slept a lot, and I got sick a lot. And everybody said it was stress. And I just figured, okay, it's stress. Were you... I mean, everybody says you're, it was stress. Were you, uh, were you a nervous person? Were you a stressful person? No. They just... They would just throw that at you? Because like, they didn't know what it was. I mean, food allergies were so unknown then. It's always funny when friends, like, I think there's there's a beauty with friends in that they can, the beauty with friend, a, a true friendship is that you can only help so much. Like, it's so much just, and, and you're letting them know that you're, you're, you're going to help them to that level. But also the pain with friendship is that, like, I can learn so much. So, so right, well, and it was doctors. I mean, I went to see doctors. And doctors would just say stress. They didn't know anything. Yeah. And they were so out of touch with, um, you know, the symptoms. Like, well, my pulse isn't going down. My pulse isn't yeah, getting below. Yeah, but you were below. speaking so above their head. Right. See, they didn't. They didn't think like that. Yeah. Was that? Did you feel sorry for yourself, or were you angry, or? You know, I was confused. I was really sad. I was frustrated. Yeah. Um, it was a it was a really hard time. Okay. And um, and you know, I I found out about the wee thing, and that helped a lot. 
Because I was also kind of like foggy-headed. I mean, there was a whole lot of symptoms that now if you write them down, everybody says, oh, yeah, you have a weed allergy. There wasn't a Google search engine. No. WebMD. It was weird, right, because it was so unknown then. Hmm. But um, So I did feel a lot better, but I was still getting sick, so that's what I couldn't figure out what was going on. What was the... Uh, woman cycling scene like then. So like, let's say you won the Tour de France. What what did that parlay into? Like, could you go back to the states and uh, approach Seven Eleven and, and and ask for a certain salary, or were there other women's teams that or bike shops or what was the cycling scene? What were the I guess what I'm asking is what were the prospects after winning women's Tour de France? Well. Um... It was before cell phones and it was before internet. Sure. <laughs> so um, I um, I wanted to um, I talked to different sponsors, and as an amateur, we couldn't take directly. We had to take as a team. Really. And there was a rider from Boulder that was on the Seven Eleven team. You can just always tell me what you don't want to Okay. Um, and. So, and I, because all my best guy friends were on the other team, you know, they knew the inside of the scoop. So I knew why that was happening. So I went out to get my own team together. Um, so you had a hustle for yourself, even though you just won the women's tour de France. Now you're, you're. Because there weren't that many women's teams. Yeah. Yeah. So then Mike Frazee got a team together and he said I was on it, which I wasn't. And so all the sponsors that I'd worked so hard to get together went with Mike Frazee because he Were you said, talking to him like vaguely? No, like, I oh, had maybe. no idea. I didn't know any of that. Why did he feel so connected to you? I don't know because he didn't even talk to me about it. That's a bummer. Um, but one of the girls that was on our team that, you know, she was supposed to win the tour. So we didn't have a great relationship. I didn't want to write, be on a team with her. So, um, yeah, there wasn't that much women's, um, there wasn't that many women's teams. But, you know, I'm such a behind-the-scenes person. I didn't really want to be the star person. Yeah, it I didn't just, bother you. It didn't bother me, no. Yeah. But the money was really hard, because when I quit, I was really broke. Yeah. Because there wasn't any, like, I paid to get myself to France. Yeah. So, and we won $1,000, but we split it with the team. Well, not even $1,000 a piece. No, uh-uh. Wow. But, um, but it was so great. I mean, racing was so pure yeah. then. We did. It's like, of course you don't do it for the money, but it's also, uh... It's, it's really hard to do that lifestyle, because you had to go around the country and get points to stay on the national team. Yeah. So you had to do the national team races or you couldn't stay on the national team. There is something very, um, I mean, you're, you're always gonna wanna, wanna make money and especially prize money. You, you wanna get rewarded for your efforts, but there is something to be said for uh, the, the smaller the prize list or the amount of money in it, like almost the, the purity of the athletes, like, because it's a it's an extreme leap for an example. But if, if you go to like uh, something like Hollywood, where people make millions and millions of dollars for very little, those can attract some really 
people that we probably would never talk to or never agree with or just plain wouldn't like. Mm-hmm. So there is something nice. I mean, of all the bad reasons that there's no money in it, right. there is that one sliver where you're like, well, at least I'm going to have some like-minded people here who want to do something purely to see if they can do it. Like, I'm going to go on an adventure around France. Right. And But, it, I mean, it is still kind of... It's weird for me to think that, like, oh, okay, you could be on the, you could win the Tour de France for women, you could be on the podium with, uh, who were you on the podium with for the men's race? Who won it that year? Laurent, Laurent Fignon. Laurent You could be on there and then come home and still have to hustle for yourself. Like, that's, was that a, did you see that coming or was that a, a I didn't even think time? about it. You didn't even think about it. I mean, it was such, it, time, it, it's so different now because, the internet, instant communication, cell phones, you can be in touch anywhere because I had to be at my house to get a phone call. Good. So, um, I, yeah, it, it was a whole different thing that, you know, and to be, because you'd call somebody and they'd call you back, but you wouldn't be home, and so you had to, like, get their message on the message machine and call them back. by the phone. Yeah, it was it was a, it was different then, but it was great. And the thing was, I liked races where there was high prize money because then there'd be a lot of good racers, so it was a good race. Sure. Um, it, so that meant more of the good, you know. It was the prize prize money brought good racers, but as far as sponsors, my impression now, and I could be totally wrong, is that. Cyclists just demand so much from their sponsors. I'm thinking, what do the sponsors get out of it? I mean, do they get anything about a cyclist riding around with, like, something on their back when the motors are angry at them for running the stop sign? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I I think you're pandering to a sliver of the population now, and I Mm -hmm. think sponsors are starting to realize that, like, you either... you go for the top athlete first, so all the people who want to be like the top athlete, all the weekend warriors can Aye. ride the same equipment. But there are some sponsors who, you know, just want to help. And I mean, probably literally the term of a sponsor. You know, they just want to. They like somebody. They like something. You know, uh, so I'm directing a small team now. Um, because there's so many things yeah. cyclists could do to benefit their sponsors, but that yeah. mentality is not there. Well, the, being an athlete is like such a self-serving, selfish lifestyle. It's, it you, doesn't have to like be. Like you waking up and checking your pulse, the first concern of your morning was you. You know, the first concern of your morning was your pulse. Right. And that, that's just an athlete. That's not you. I'm not harping on you. No, it's no, just, I totally just, get it. That's like the athletic lifestyle. It's like, how do my legs feel today? What training am I going to do today? What right. food am I going to eat? Like, it's all these. And there are things that we hold on to more than. Okay, I'm sure the, the every man who wakes up and wonders what he's going to eat for breakfast before he goes to work and what project he has to work, those things are like infinitely flexible to the to the every man. But to the athlete, to, to move one of those things out of place, I mean. When, oh, I'm with you. you I was neurotic. Fr- yeah, yeah, I was very focused. Yeah. Um, but I also think. I think cyclists have to be educated. That people worldly or book smart or 
No, educated about the fact that sponsors are giving you this money to ride your bike because they believe in it, but also because it's got to work for them. So here's some things you could do to make it more worthwhile for your sponsor. I mean, just that mentality, there's such a gimme, gimme. Yeah. No. This, and I don't know if it's still there. It's 100% still there. I'll tell you this end. So, um, so I don't know if you're on the Twitter, but there's, so all these sponsors are on Twitter. And my all my athletes are on Twitter. And the t- Twitter's this big social platform uh, where, you know, it's everybody can see what you say. And I have sponsors on there who are trying to interact with my athletes. That's and, very cool. And I have to repeatedly tell them, you have to interact with the people who fund you. Like, I, I mean, I, I've written two of these emails now, and still not 100% of the athletes do it. I'd say I got about 60% of the athletes, where the, the sponsor will say, um, where are you, from their corporate account, where are the team riders spending their holidays? How sweet of them. And I, if I didn't prod them out of 16 riders, maybe two would respond. And if, when I prod them, maybe eight riders respond. And it's very... Um, and I realized that when I was a rider, I did the same thing. I thought, like, well, this is silly. Like, why are they asking me this? And, like, I would forget it, not out of ego, but out of... self-obsession to the point where I would think about it, that's weird, and then the next minute I was thinking about what kind of training I was going to do, and it was out of my brain that quickly. But now that I'm a director, I'm like pulling my hair out, thinking like, why wouldn't you just respond? It'll take 10 seconds. And then, Even if it takes 10 minutes. And that's it. Like, I mean, we're a small underdog team. Like, we we can't just demand a, a, a paycheck from our results because it's not there yet. So, like, why wouldn't you? Like, this is maybe more than half the job right now is interacting with your sponsors. So, yeah. No, the athlete mentality can get pretty... And I don't think it's like that in other sports. You don't think so? Uh-uh. I don't know. I just always kind of assumed it was. Like, I always kind of assumed that with the uh, football and baseball that maybe the athletes still didn't It's a good question. I wonder. I wonder. I think when you're an athlete, you're just... I mean, you show up to a race and uh, my riders, they, they, they have a bike there at the race. They don't have to travel with their bike. They don't have to uh, clean their bikes. They don't... I... And it's no fault their own because I was the same. So I realized that it's like this is the pot and kettle having a conversation. But I think when you are constantly around that, you lose perspective on how much work goes into it. Why would you give somebody money to ride their bike? I, 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 Simple question. No. Okay. No. And that's what they have to understand. Yeah. But that's we're not but, curing you know, diseases. Well, right, and and it's like I see a limitation in the growth of the sport because of that mentality. What do you think we could do to 
grow that out? Well, first the awareness, just and the appreciation that if people are giving you money to do what you want to do, oh my God, that's amazing. Thing. Right. <laughs> to, to to do a non-essential activity. Right. Yeah. Right. And um, and then to figure out what what could we as cyclists do to make that person get a benefit from giving the cyclist money. Like, to make them not regret it. Right. Like maybe the team goes to ed, um, elementary schools and talk to, talks to the kids about how great bikes are yeah. and here's some safety things that can make keep you safe on your bike. And, you know, just, Good uh, you know, ambassadors yeah. about promoting safe cycling and cycling as a sport. Kids these days are not athletic. No, you didn't. And, but maybe they would be if, if you guys came in and you know you did a slideshow of the sport or the tour, you know or the tour de France or just educated them a little bit about the sport. Try to plant the seed. And about safety and about just how fun it is to ride your bike. Yeah, I would plan it just about traveling. Like you can get out of this town, you can do so much. I mean, when I I joined the junior national team when I was seventeen, and I went to Austria when I was seventeen. And I remember coming back to high school after that and being like, "I can't stay here." Like you guys are talking about the same shit from when I left. Like, right. there's a lot of stuff out there. This is a crazy adventure. But even if it's like, you know, Joe, somebody that starts riding his bike to school, that's a huge thing. If you get one person to start riding their bike to school, yeah. You've done a really good thing for. You've changed that kid's life. And if you could get a number of them, but say you know I don't know who the sponsors are anymore, but you know your ambassadors, you're bringing goodwill in their name to someplace. And I mean I'm sure there's a bunch of other things like that 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 cyclists can do. And maybe it's in the off season if they can't quite deal with it when they're racing. But I just think making an effort to give back and make it positive thing for the sponsors yeah and because i mean a lot of the sponsors are just uh really good meaning fans like i don't i I think the number of them that expect an honest return on their investment that is so but just think if they got it yeah yeah how do i mean i think that's i I guess that'd be where i'd segue to you to ask like that's where I think women cycling can be better than men cycling. Like I think men cycling has so many more rules and tradition into it. And it, I always cringe when I hear like women cycling complaining that they're not getting the respect. When I when I think like you guys like you, there, there's so much less governance there that they can create something so much better than a failing business model that's men cycling. Why is there less governance? Because you know with with uh, men's racing there's they have now they have like three divisions of racing so they have division one division two and division three and so division there's amateur division three division two division one division one's the highest you have to pay uh, riders is that like cat one two and three yeah it would be like that but in professional level so like okay. so there's professional cat there's professional ones professional twos and professional threes and amateur racing. Um, my team's a professional three race so. The restrictions on us to field a, profe- uh, a team are much smaller than uh, to 
field with Division One team for good reason. You know, like they want to do a Tour de France, they have to be more professional. Uh, I'm not sure what the restrictions are exactly with fielding a professional women's team. But I, there, are I there professional women's teams? There are. There are a couple, but they're pretty small. I, I, I feel like if they went to the UCI and said, like, they, they could put on... Um, so, like, if I was a race promoter and I wanted to put on a, a men's professional race, a UCI, there would be all these uh, limitations. Like, uh, I don't get how that relates to helping your sponsor. Well, I, uh, yeah. I, and I just it, missed that connection. I'm sorry. No, no. I, I guess the, the helping your sponsor would be to make women... Women's racing can be more attractive to a sponsor if they broke away from men's racing like almost 180 degrees and made a more attractive product, uh, better racing, more connection to the to the sponsor. I think. Well, I think the mentality of the world is about men have a strong. You know, I think I think women have to work really hard. Was it the volleyball team or softball or something that was doing really well? But I think in general men's sports as it is right now leads leads the at least US mentality mm-hmm. so I'm not sure if you're saying that women could just go on their own and I think they can make a I think they can make a better product than the men's cycling because there's less rules on them and I think they can almost make them make a model that would have the men come to them and ask them to be a part of it instead of asking the women to be a part of, uh, you know, just a business model that, I don't, I don't know, it's just based on fans. It's based on, I, hopefully a, a millionaire comes in and says, I like cycling and I'm going to give you guys some money, you know? Like, it seems not thought out. It doesn't seem sustainable. Whereas... I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. And, and anyway, it's just a thing that I, I I love cycling, and I think it's a great sport, and I think it's I think it's going to struggle at the level that it's at for a long time because it's not a um, the people that want money and the sponsors don't have a big draw from it. Yeah, I don't, I I can't imagine that they do. I, don't, I mean, I'm grateful that they're there, and I, I want to keep them around. I just, I wonder what we have to. I mean, is it so simple as just shaking the athletes and just grabbing them, by, you know, just grabbing by the shoulder, shaking them, and saying like, you guys. Well, and you could tell, um, like, you there was a point where you could tell the 7-Eleven team, and you know, some of the others were educated, were. Um, trained how to speak to the media, how to present yourself around the media, how to present yourself around the public. You you could totally see that shift, and it was very it, it was a professionalism that wasn't a, uh, common in cycling, and so it was um, it was a great shift. But it was just those couple places. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if it's happening now. I mean, I again, I'm out of the sport, but you don't keep up with it at all anymore. No, I love watching the tour. Um, I, I don't have a TV, so I don't, I don't watch it a lot. Yeah, try to catch it on the internet or something. 
now I go up to Amante and you know watch it with friends and stuff like that. And, that, and that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but You're always going to feel some connection to the tour. Right? Oh, sure, yeah. And I've been over there a couple times to watch it, you know, uh, on bike trips and things like that. So, yes, it's, I'm very fond of it. But it's, it is also different when you don't know the players. You don't know who's... In contention and they're just names, know, right? Right, and again, it's still great, but it's it's always better when you know some of the players. That is one of the great things about cycling is that when you know when they become when they change from names to personalities, and you can kind of follow this personality and right. be so close to them. And I mean, there are times where cycling is a really honest sport, you know, where you right. see who trained the best, who has the best engine, and right. Yeah. Uh, it's it's funny to me that you can live in a town like Boulder with so many professional cyclists. And, I mean, a couple of years ago... Can I get you guys another round of drinks? Not for me, thanks. I'm good, thanks. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we had the U.S. Pro Challenge that went through. And... Is that weird for you at all, or to think... I was great. And the first year the Pro Challenge was here... Um, a couple of us put on a big reunion for all the course classic racers. Anybody that had been involved, not just the racers, but anybody that had been involved in the course classic for all those years, we had a big reunion up in Vail, and 400 people came from all over the world. It was great. Wow. So, you know, it was really a special time back in the 80s when we raced. Yeah. It was a really close-knit thing. And, and now when the Pro Challenge comes here, I, I think it's fabulous because that's how I got into cycling, is seeing the course classic. So to me, it's like maybe somebody will see this and get involved in the sport and it will grow. And, um, and so I think it's a great thing. Yeah. Do you feel... I don't, I don't feel any... You know, because I'm so disconnected. It's just because when I do something, I do it 100%, 150%. Like when I did cycling, I did it 150%. And now I do photography and I do it 150%. And, and that doesn't give a lot of space to have other things. I'm a, I'm a doer, not a watcher. So I, it's not like I watch sports. Um, and I'm interested if people talk about it or if I hear something, but I'm not, I don't follow it. Yeah, I guess, I, I don't know, I, maybe I'm just projecting, I just feel like if I, if I won the Tour de France, I'd feel like, like when the race came to town, that you'd want to be like invited to some level of, to speak about it or anything, but you're so, you don't feel that way at all. I, no. That's, I don't know, that's relieving in a way, you know, because like, U.S. Pro Challenge now goes through my hometown, the Carver Springs, and I just... Uh. Worry, like, how am I gonna feel in this race that I was just in, you know, 12 months ago? Is now racing through my road, you know? They're, they're so personal to me. Right. Like they're going up a climb that's like just so personal to me. I mean, it's countless. So you can under, you can appreciate how they're feeling. Yeah, it's hard to get your ego out of it, though. Is say. it? For me, it was. For me, it is. I'm not even saying it was. It is. Right. I mean, they just. I was talking to somebody just last night, and they were telling me the route, and it was just uh, a road that, like, you train alone in the winter by yourself, 
is now going to be lined with fans in such a public format. And I kind of, so I, you I, can I, I appreciate feel like, that. Like it's, it's that's cool. You can like, you can feel. You know all the hard spots up that road because yeah, you've trained it. Yeah, but I kind of feel it. like an ownership to the road somehow. Like I feel like this is my road. I don't. I, I feel like it. it it, it, I, I'm not excusing it. I realize no, it's a, it's a purely just, ego-driven right. move that I'm at right now, but it's it, it's hard to relinquish that where you feel like, no, like, these guys don't respect this road like I do. You know? Right. Instead of sharing it, it's like, I want to keep it all to myself. I mean, I realize it's selfish and crazy, but it's... Uh, we can't... I mean, our feelings are our feelings. It doesn't really matter if they make sense, but uh, interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't quite feel that. that. Yeah. That's great, though. I mean, that's... I don't know. I don't know. Well, I guess a couple things. I'm really a behind-the-scenes person. I mean, winning the tour was kind of lost on me because I'm not one that, you know, wants to be in the spotlight. Um, and... I I loved it. I loved the days, the food, the people. I loved every every aspect of it. And so then when I see somebody else doing it or I just think I know how you feel. Yeah, 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 yeah. What did your parents think about you just going to like going to France and doing this? Were they encouraging? Or well, it was kind of a cool story because um, my dad flew over and surprised me. There's some no. pictures. Yeah, and um, what was cool is that when I was graduating from college, my dad was going to give me some money, and I said, "Great, Dad," because I want to buy a race bike. So he bought me a camera <laughs> instead of giving me the money, and. So I took out a loan. I went to the bank and I took out a loan for my first race bike. Come on, really? <laughs> yeah, it was like three hundred dollars. Did you tell them it was for a race bike? Yeah, I did. <laughs> and um, and so um, so when you know, and he wasn't really that supportive. But then I he came to Colorado once and he watched me in the Course Classic, and then he's like, "Oh my God, this is so cool!" So he went from. Passing on any time I'd make a comment about my bike racing to like, oh, well, now tell me, how's your racing going? I'm super fan. Totally different. And so then when I was winning in the tour, um, I tried to call him to say, hey, it's going to be on TV. And I, I couldn't get a hold of him anywhere. It was before cell phones. Sure. I called my sister and I said, hey, I'm trying to get a hold of Dad. And she's like, yeah, he's out of town right now. And so I said, well, you know what? If you talk to him, it's going to be televised, so he can watch it on TV. She said, okay, well, I'll tell him if I talk to him. I'm like, okay, cool. Sister's just biting her lip the whole yeah. time. So then, um, so then we do, so the very last stage, we do about 18 kilometers, and then we come do the loops around the Champs-Élysées. Oh, that's such an amazing experience. Yeah, and so I went by the start-finish line, and I heard somebody yell, go, Marianne Martin. And I'm like, ooh, that's an American. Did it sound, the voice sound familiar? Uh, I, could, I was, you know, you're racing. You're, it's too yeah. much. I was pretty happy that I heard my name. So the next time around, I looked over to see who it was, and I saw my dad, and I was right next to Helena Haga, who was second, because I just wanted to stand her wheel. I didn't want anything to happen. And when I saw him, I turned to her and I said, oh my God, that's my dad. Like, she cares. 
Was she Dutch or German? She was Dutch, yeah, but she spoke she, English. She's Dutch, but she's like, well, that's fine. I see my dad. Like, it's like a, it's a train ride. But he's like, no, I understand. He got across the ocean. Well, and not only that, is that he decided to go so late, so he had to fly through England. And when he got to England, there was a pilot strike, and so flights were not going to France. You got a fair So he started crying. <laughs> and he said, my daughter's going to win the Tour de France. And they got him on a flight. Come on. Swear to God. So he made it to the start-finish line when we were there. Which Is that him right there? So this is my dad, yeah. So then when we finished and, you know, we were all out here like this, and then I, I saw my dad, so I came over and he climbed over the fence and the gendarmes were like, no, no, no. And he'd go, moi, papa. And I'm like, ah, and he got, he got over. So it was really, really cool. Yeah, I guess I guess maybe that's all there is. Um these are amazing yeah. photos. They're amazing photos. I was so lucky that, because uh, I love that photo right there. So that's the guy that came and helped us, and helped us so much. And the girl that was supposed to win isn't in this picture. And then there's my dad, and that's um, Laurent, that's Greg Lamont. He was the best, Young rider. youngest rider that year. And um, here, I can turn it this way because I've seen him before. Um, and then um, this was Mika Havik, and so we were going around and people kept taking our pictures. So I said, Okay, Mika, on three, make a funny face. Just goofing around. Yeah, and so she did. And um, this was a guy that drove the motorcycle that was right behind the women's race, and he helped me with translating too because. See, the thing is, like, I had to go for drug control. I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know where to meet my team. I didn't know anything about the course the next day. I mean, there's so much you need to know, and we didn't know anything. So he helped me, and then the guy from Perrier helped me. That was, that was great. It was just an adventure, isn't it? Yeah, it was an adventure. This is Patty Peoples, and she is still, she was a triathlete, and she was a rock star, and she was my friend, and she's the one that we got in trouble with. But she is still, like, she just won the Masters National Duathlon. Like, she's, like, the best in the world or something at something. Um, this is another favorite picture. That's the uh, Plastic Concorde. Wow. People everywhere. I mean, you, everywhere. I'm not telling you something you don't already know, but that's just so great that you have that experience. And then I have these photos. Yeah. The photos are amazing. Yeah. Treasure photos. So then, this is another great story. So the top three, so there's Helena Haga and Deborah Shumway and me, and the three of us got to go to the men's celebration, the night of the win. And so we walk in this cafe in uh, Cecile Clement. Surreal. Yeah, okay. He's like, ah, um, you know, uh, Jane Seymour. No, you know, because I'm not a big movie TV sure. person. Sure. Ah, Jane Seymour, the actress. Uh, and kept going. I'm, finally, I realized this guy really wants me to know who Jane Seymour is. So sure. I'm like, ah, yes, Jane Seymour. Just, yeah. to end, just move the conversation. Just to end the conversation, right. So she was Laurent Fignol's date that night. So, and she speaks like 12 languages, five, but she's, you know. So she, um, let's see, is there a better picture? So see, we sat, and so I talked to Laurent that night, and she interpreted. And so um, we Dude, were... look at Cyril Grimard with no shirt on. I know. Can you stand suit. it? That is... I, I mean, I'm not telling you what's... Oh, my God. 
God, look can at you, this one. I'm can not, you stand it? I'm not telling you what to do, but those photos in a book or on your website would just be the most amazing thing ever. Well, and I did make a little book out of it. These pictures are bigger, so I brought this today. But um, So then the other funny thing is... It was, it was, there was a show up on stage, you know, singers and actresses, and then we were at a long table, like, say, here's the stage, and we were at this table, out like this, and Fignon and I were down here, and it was some, like, Knights in Shiny Armor skit that was going on, and at one point, they, they knocked some rocks and burst into the castle, and the pieces came rolling down the table, breaking all the wine bottles and wine glasses, and that's why I have wine all over my skirt. And then they passed around this champagne. So we get up on stage here, and we're passing around this one of those magnums of champagne. Well, the guy in the skit took his axe and took the top of it off. And, and so then Fignon drinks it, and then I drink it, and we look at each other because we can taste blood. And it was really just whacked off like that, so it was a broken thing, and it cut the inside of our mouths. <laughs> I mean, this is so bizarre. It would never happen in the States. It was so cool. Yeah. Yeah, so there's more of that, yeah. That is amazing. I know. Great story. And this is what, these are the people that were in the skit. This is for the I think that's, oh, and it once the photographer wanted me brushing my hair, it was kind of crazy. Um, I just wish there was a moment sort of France still to keep this going. I know, I know, because it was such a great race. Um, so let's see, what are these pictures? So I didn't, I actually got third in the first stage, which was just kind of a fluke. It was just, you know, because I was riding smart. But then at the climbs, that's when I really did well, because that's what my strength was. And this is um, Betsy King, who was supposed to win, and we were supposed to support her. But the thing is, so I knew when I went for a, I wanted to get the polka dot jersey. Because I had this thing with Steve Tilford that it's like he gave me shit because I'm supposed to be a climber, but even when we go over overpasses on the freeway and I fall back, I'm like, I'm going to win that Podat jersey. I'm going to show Steve Tilford that I can climb. I've had somebody show Steve Tilford. I know, so I, but I had to win by a lot to be, to show Betsy that, you know, I wasn't just, so, um, so I got the, I was at the top like 10 minutes before anybody else. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm just going to keep going yeah. and they can catch me, yeah. but nobody ever caught me. But so I didn't get in the yellow that day, but I got in the polka dot jersey. So I could show Steve Tilford that, yeah, I can climb, dude. And, um, and then that was, um, Judith Painter. She was from England and she was so sweet and so cute. And she was a really good climber, but she had crashed early on, so she was not in contention. And um, so we rode together a lot, but then she tried to pass me. I'm like, Judith, you can't pass me. So then I went off ahead alone. <laughs> um, so that's, oh, she's still with me then. And that's, I think, when I left her. How was the French public towards the race? Fabulous. Yeah. Fabulous. Fabulous. And I had a flat tire right after that, but I had to look at the picture to see if I had it at the finish line. But when I stopped my bike, I had a flat tire, so... I just got it. Yeah. Was this the stage that you took the yellow jersey? Maybe. It looks like an alpine town. It was. We've got all the mountains out here. 
was. I can't remember which one that was, though. It might have been La Plana. That's the guy from Perrier. It says United States on your shorts. So was it like a national team combine? Or? It was, but you know, the French put the clothing together. So they didn't put USA, they put it Tazini. Because they're French. Sure. It's um, important that French is spoken. <laughs> it's very important. <laughs> so, um, love that picture too with the Art de Trio. That's amazing. Yeah, isn't that a great picture? I'm so lucky to have these photos. I just can't even stand it. This is everybody that was in the race. Palms out. <laughs> and that was Helena Hager. She got to wear the polka dot jersey because even though I was the polka dot winner, she was second. And so yeah. the second place gets to ride it. That was cool. She got to have a fun jersey. It's always so uncomfortable though, when you know you don't have it by when you have it by default. You're just like, ah, yeah, thanks. Uh, but you still have it more than all those other people. That's a good. One. And at least you get one because you know we got one on the podium, and then it, and it was a, the Velcro zip kind. And then that night we got a fresh clean one delivered to our room. It was so That's great. Amazing. And I think now they just give you the one. But back then, we got the Velcro one to put on on the podium, and then we got a real yeah, one. Yeah, I wonder what they do now. Yeah, I think they just give you one. This was our team. Again, Betsy wasn't there, but um, the manager was. He was such a rock star. I wish I remembered his name. More. My dad. Larry. Yeah, it's a great picture. I was really sad when he died. That's it. I think everything else is... Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I'm really happy that I have all these pictures. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you doing the podcast with me very much. Yeah, you're welcome. It was nice to hear from you. Thanks so much.